Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. This is a weekly podcast about El Camino de Santiago or the Way of St. James. I'm your host, Dan Mullins. It's great to have you with us from wherever you are around the world. The Camino is a pilgrimage and we're told the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred at the Cathedral in Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. James left the Holy Land in the wake of Christ's death and walked to Spain to preach Christianity, and he ended up fighting alongside the Spanish against invaders of the day. He went back to the Holy Land and was martyred, and his followers placed his remains in a boat and sailed his body to Galicia in northwest Spain, where he was buried on a hillside. There now stands a majestic cathedral housing his remains. It's called Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. Caminos are pathways or pilgrimages to St. James's tomb. Pilgrims gather from all four corners of the earth. A common goal is to walk with intention. And 2021 is what's called a holy year. It only happens when St. James Day, that's July 25th, falls on a Sunday. The church opens what are called the holy doors on the north facade of the cathedral. You step through the doors to get a plenary indulgence, and you are absolved of sin, free to enter heaven without blemish. It happens rarely, and with COVID and all the restrictions in place, the Vatican this week announced 2021 and 2022 will be holy years. It'll give us all time to make our way via the spider's web of Caminos to Santiago to pay our respects. Once the COVID crisis is over, Spain will welcome us all again with open arms. In the meantime, we can dream about Caminos. Dream about walking long distances and enjoying the company of pilgrims from around the world. Dream of the opportunity to learn more about ourselves. Dream about living simply, humbly, more in tune with ourselves as opposed to what the world tells us is worth tuning in to. I remember writing a mention in my diary after seeing a picture in the self-help section of a local department store. They sell these kind of vinyl hangings. One said, never let it be said that to dream is a waste of one's time, for dreams are our realities in waiting. In dreams, we plant the seeds of our future. We're all waking up in the middle of the night dreaming of walking a Camino and news that the holy door is open and the holy year has been extended only adds to our desire to return. It's okay to dream. Never let it be said that to dream is a waste of one's time for dreams are our realities in waiting. In dreams, we plant the seeds of our future. (laughs) Our future on the Camino de Santiago. Well, my guest this week is an American pilgrim. Bob Scheidt wrote to me at the end of last year. He said he'd walked 11 Caminos in six years, and I'm dying to know why. He's on the line from Pennsylvania in the United States. Welcome, Bob. Hi, Dan. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm very honored to be on a podcast with uh, Dan the Man. And, uh, <laughs> You're very kind. Right off the bat, I'll tell you, uh, I just had a glass of Rioja wine from Spain, and, uh, you know, the, Hermit, uh, the Tempranillo, and uh, that's ex- I th- thought that would be perfect to set me up for this, for this talk, so I'm on my way. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. La Rioja. Now, tell us, I'm dying to know, why do you walk the Camino de Santiago? Well, um, my whole life has basically been one long adventure. I've done things since I was a young kid sleeping out in the woods in my rural part of the home I grew up in, in in Pennsylvania. Uh, At age 10, I was sleeping outside. I was the oldest of three sons. And my mom always was very frustrated in that, you know, why can't you just be normal? Why do you have Mm -hmm. to be out there in the woods? And she came out once to bring me in one night uh, during a thunderstorm. And uh, as she got right to my tent and I came out of the tent, the lightning hit the tree and split right in front of us. And all kinds of stuff happening. I, I used to sleep in the backwoods about a mile behind the house uh, it, once during a blizzard, like, like, you know, like 25 inches of snow. And to get back to my campsite that I had set up the, night, the, the day before, I had to crawl over drifts. Like I couldn't even walk anymore. I got back there. I stamped out a tent platform put my tent up. It was blocked by a stone wall, like rocks piled up that 
that the landowners used to do to separate their their land lines. And, uh, you know, I was in heaven. Mm. This is just something I've always done. And uh, I so basically I've uh, I was in indulging in rock climbing, uh, bicycle racing through most of my life. Uh, I've I've uh, competed in ultra marathons and uh, I've walked for six straight days uh, one time in a race, uh, you know, 100 mile races on trails. And uh, and then I eventually got into long distance walking. I walked across America. I walked around America. I yeah. bicycled across America. Uh, and, and just all of this is leading up to things. But I also have a whole bunch of health problems. I've had type 1 diabetes. I've given insulin syringes for most of my life. Uh, it's coming up on 50 years that I've had type 1 diabetes. I have heart disease. Both my parents both uh, died in their 70s. From, from well, my, my dad died in his 70s from heart disease. My mom had a bad stroke. She lived eventually into her mid-80s, but she was on a wheelchair the rest of the time. And I've inherited all that. And so I also have problems with that and a few other glands even like thyroid. Mm. And um, yeah. yeah. So with all that in mind, I went through a really bad stretch back in the middle 2000s. Uh, it was about 2006. I had open heart surgery at age 50, 52. And, um, and then I also had a really bad uh, bicycle accident in a race down in North Carolina on the North Carolina, South Carolina border. Uh, and then, so I was, I was out of commission for a couple years in there on the couch, uh, trying to keep things together. Uh, and, and I thought to myself that maybe this is all I get. Maybe I've had a very good life. I've been active throughout. I've done a million experiences, but diabetes is a very difficult disease and it, it eventually wears you down. And I told my, my family, you know, maybe this is all I get. Maybe I should just be glad that I could do everything up to this point. And they all looked at me and they said, uh-uh, we're not, we're not accepting that. You're not done. You are, I know people around you that have diabetes are, are, you know, dealing with these big problems and giving up and maybe passing on and losing their eyesight and having uh, uh, amputations. Mm. It's sort of common with long-term diabetes. But they said, you've got you've to plan something train for it and get back out there. That's the only thing. That's the thing that you were born to do. And I sort of knew all that, but I think I needed them to reinforce it. And both my two daughters and my wife and even my friends around me who are, who all who have done things with me before. And they said, but you know, I think you've had enough with the North American continent. You've done everything around here. Look, maybe somewhere different for some new excitement. So I researched. So in, in 2013, I set out on the Camino de Santiago. And um, my, my youngest daughter went with me and two of her friends from college. And uh, the four of us started. They were only going to do the first uh, week and a half to uh, La Roño. And then they went home. And then I was on my own after that. And... Uh, <laughs> I was not even halfway through when I thought, oh, my, this is something different from anything I have ever done. I'm not sure exactly what it is yet. Something's welling up inside me every day. And, uh, you know, it bringing back to all these lost memories while I'm out walking. And and uh, I every once in a while, I, I actually stop and have to cry a little bit. <laughs> and, and I understood that this was, and I've always been a spiritual guy, and now it was all coming up in waves, yeah, yeah. rising up out of the ground. The you know the memories of the pilgrims who walked all the way back in the 1600s, and all that stuff. I was learning from other pilgrims. I was reading stuff, and I was experiencing it. And since that 2013, which I ended up walking all the way to. I went first to Muxia, then went along the coast of Finisterre and back to Santiago. I said, this is it. Um, this is my new thing now. I'm going to continue doing this. And then I went, I've since now done a whole bunch of other um, 
Caminos, and I'm looking forward to doing more and even repeating some of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't remind. I don't mind repeating them because everything's different. You're different. A few years later, yeah. you have different people you're walking with, different weather. Diff- you know, really, I don't even mind repeating any of them because I've done that already. Yeah, you so. men- you mentioned Bob that you had walked. Um, well, we're going to get to it a little later. I think you you walked right around America. You walked across America. You walked across the United States. Yes. You, you'd done all that walking in the past. So were you surprised then to find this unique experience on the Camino de Santiago, this, I don't, I don't know how you'd put it into words, this, this unique spirituality that you're experiencing? Were you yeah, surprised? Uh- I was I was a little bit surprised, and probably the most thing that I was surprised about was why didn't I find out about this earlier? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, how did yeah. you actually find out about the Camino, though? I just I just did some research. You right. know, I've always I read a lot, and I picked up a few books and read about it. I didn't really have anyone to talk to personally. Like, not it's it. It is now a bigger thing in in America, but even in the early two thousands and that, I don't, I don't think it was yet. Mm. And uh, so, so I really had to dig. I had to dig into finding stuff, and 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 once I got into it, I realized there was a whole treasure trove of stuff that I could have, you know, researched. And yeah, and then once I'm out there on the Camino, talking to people from Brazil and, and from, uh, you know, anywhere in Europe and Australia and uh, a lot of Koreans that I ran into, you know, I, I was getting, and some of them had, were there for their, for their second time, their third time. And, and, uh, you know, I just learned so much while on the Camino and still do to this day, you know, I still, when I'm on Camino, I learn so much and somebody will say, Hey, have you done the V? I did the Vio de Plata last year. You know, you should try that. And then I start saying, oh, tell me about it. And I say, you know what? It's on the list. It's on the list at the end of that day. That's on. So uh, it's a continuing, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, continuing learning experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I do my research as well before I interview uh, my guests. And I, I was sort of doing a bit of research about you, I came across your father's obituary from 2003, Robert Senior. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He worked with you for a while. He worked for me for quite a few years, and it's amazing because that man worked 44 years in an iron foundry, and he used to take me and my brothers to pick up his paycheck in the summer when he had off his only two weeks that he would have off. He would take us through the foundry uh, because they were still up and running during that time, uh, and he would he would want us to see how hot it was in the summer, and then in the in the winter they had no heat, so you would work at a blast furnace and you were sweating, and as soon as you stepped back from it, you know it was the temperature was really low, and then you would get chilled, and that's basically how he lived his life, and and you know and he would take us to show us so that we would study harder in school so we wouldn't have to end up working in that foundry. And uh, so I was always, you know, I, I always, I, I was very close to my dad. Yeah. And when he, the day he retired after 44 years, and now he's in, he, you know, he's like 65 years old. And, and he says, I'm starting from, I said, you definitely want to work with me? Okay, I could use the help. I mean, I know what kind of worker you are. He says, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. I said, well, now take, take a day or two days or a week <laughs> off. He says, no, that's what I do. You know, I took him up to a big, I have my own house painting business for 45 years. And uh, we do a lot of church steeples and stuff like that. And even interior of Gothic churches and that, that's my specialization. And uh, I mean, I love my job and I'm my own boss. So that's the big deal. I can take off any time I want to go on Camino. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I take my, my dad comes the next day, it's August and it's, really hot and humid because we do get some really nasty southern type weather up here in pennsylvania and we have a big doctor's office to paint with big overhanging uh cornices that are peeling like crazy and have to be you have to have your arms up and 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 stripping paint and uh 
he's up there. And I said, oh, we better take a break. It's like this heat is killing. He says, I don't know. It's not that hot. He said, I'm used to this. He said, "From this is easy compared to what I was doing. So, that's great. That's my dad. That's yeah. your dad, yeah. Because yeah. he, yeah. he was a scout leader and a church goer. And, and yeah. I think what, from what I read about him, he would have made a great pilgrim. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, he took me out hunting. He was a big hunter. All his brothers, they had hunting cabins for deer, uh, pheasant. Uh, uh, they never, my dad never really went bear hunting, but you could. There were people, I think some of my uncles did. And he took me out, and uh, I went out with him a few times. And then I said, you know, I'm not really sure this is not really my thing. And he sort of, he was a little sad because he thought he'd be able to spend time together. And, uh, and then I think I really, uh, <laughs> really uh, made him a little mad because I said, I, oh, he said to me, are you afraid to get up early in the morning, it, it real early before the sun's out, before, you know, while it's still dark, go out in the cold weather and walk around in the woods hunting? He said, I think some of the, you kids are a little lazy. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's not it. I like all that. I said, I'm going to continue to get up early, go out walking in the cold weather, in the rain, in the, you know. I said, I just don't want to carry a gun and shoot something. And I said, and then I, I said, I think I'm going to sell my gun and I'm going to buy a nice camera. I'm going to shoot wildlife with my camera. <laughs> that was very difficult for him to accept that. He thought, oh, my God, I have failed as a father. And uh, but over the years, when I would be training for my walks across America or for my ultra distance runs, he would walk with me. And because and, we had all, he still he lived all his life at that same house where I grew up and we had all these woods and all the sides of the house. We would walk together. He says, you know what? I'm starting to understand that it's being out here in the woods walking, which we have to do to hunt, but that it's not necessarily the hunting. We don't need the meat. We're not like saving that much money, he said, I, uh, he continued to hunt, but he understood. And then years later, when I walked across and around America, he would join me for two weeks every year. And he said to me one time, we visit a lot of Indian reservations because I would do diabetes programs wherever I went, anywhere, every night, any little town or it's a bigger city at the hospital, children's camps and 32 Indian reservations, Native American reservations because the diabetes is pretty nasty there yeah yeah so i made sure i would spend some time there and he would come with me and we'd we'd see a powwow dancing competition and we'd meet the elders of the tribe and we'd meet the uh, the the indian councils and uh he would get to meet these people and he'd say i think i'm finally understanding your whole obsession with walking he said uh it took me a long time but i finally get it. He said, this is, you were leading up to this all your life. And I said, I know. I said, I knew that, but it was hard for me to, you know, to, to, for you to understand that. And I said, but I'm so glad you've evolved in your way of thinking. So when he finally did pass away, I felt a lot better that he, he, before he died, he understood that. And, and, and he died in 2003, am I right? And, and was that yes. before your Camino journey began? Yes. Yep. So, so 10 years. That was 10 years before a Camino. Yeah, you'd have done a lot of thinking about your father then on the Camino. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. My father and my mother uh, both, and my grandparents. I had wonderful grandparents. I, like, I had, I just had a wonderful childhood. I just, I, I have nothing to complain about. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? That's, that's, true, yeah. that's true joy to be able to say that because not many, not many people can. I mean, that's, that's right. it's an extraordinary gift. Let, let's go back to the Camino and you said you did a lot of research, uh, but now you've done 11 Caminos. Do you still do the same amount yes. of research? Are you what I call a spreadsheet pilgrim? Do you book ahead? Do you, do you know exactly where you're going to be at, at any given day or do you sort of just wander off and find your way? You know what, Dan? I'm a little bit of both. Yeah, right. I love planning, researching, having everything laid out for my next Camino. And then once I get on it, it th sort of throw it out of the window. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then take things as they go, depending who, who I'm walking with, who I meet. Uh, you know, if I do have – I had food poisoning my first year and had to spend two days in Leon. 
But I just threw out the schedule and just walked a little faster after that. I lost my Camino family. I felt really sad. And then what I didn't understand is your next Camino family is right behind you. Yeah. And I, I picked up another one. <laughs> so without that, I might have been with the same group, which was wonderful, all the way to San Diego. But now I got to experience two different groups with two, you know, with how many different people from other parts of the world. And uh, so I had to understand that, that I love the planning and I love the researching. And sometimes it's valuable to help me, you know, move forward. But for the most part, then I, I just sort of uh, play it by ear. Do you have a preconceived idea of what to expect? For instance, did you expect the Portuguese would be markedly different to the Francais? Uh, yeah, uh, just from talking to other pilgrims, and right. then and then I and then I had to go out and experience it myself. Yeah. Which once again, some of those preconceived notions uh, get shattered, and that's a that's sort of a wonderful thing to have a bunch of preconceived notions, and even about people and about different people from different countries. Oh, you know, we have these notions. And then they get shattered, and that's a wonderful feeling. <laughs> do, do you call into churches along the way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my my journey with the church is I was my dad was heavily involved in in the church, and that's the Lutheran yeah. Church yeah. in America. Uh, and I, it was one mile from our place, from where I grew up. So we we were at that, and I'm still a member of that church. And um, though I, I fell away a little bit now, you know, so I was involved heavily. I became a deacon. So I studied for two years and I could run the church service. Uh, like when the pastor was on vacation, I would basically run the service. I couldn't baptize because I wasn't, you know, it wasn't basically yeah. consecrated. I could give communion, but I couldn't consecrate the, the bread and the wine. I could just distribute it. And, uh and so, so I had all that. I probably, you know, I did a lot of sermons. So I was heavily involved. But over the years, I evolved again. And I got in touch with a lot of Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Native American. I learned so much from the Native Americans I spent time with. That, that totally changed my point of view. And, uh, but still, you know, that's, those are my roots. That's where I came from. That's where my parents came from. Uh, the Lutheran Church. So I use that as a base, and then I go outward from there. So when I get to Spain the first year, now uh, obviously I know it's ninety percent of everything that you're seeing in in a lot of Europe is is Catholicism. Yeah. And so I have to learn a little more about that. But I loved going to mass. A lot of times I don't I don't do well with languages. So a lot of times I'm hearing it in Spanish. I'm hearing it in France when I'm in France and. Portuguese, and uh, I'm, and you know, and every once in a while you get the odd Latin, which is really cool, and um, but I'm really enjoying the the. It, it's just it was such a soul feeling to go into those churches, and and be a part of all that. In some of the little towns, uh, sometimes it would just be me and maybe twenty women, almost all elderly. And one of the things I learned right early on was, even though it was hot outside all day, I'm walking, I'm, I'm, I'm very warm that day. And I see, as we enter the church, I see all the women, the elderly women going in, in their, uh, in their minks and their, uh, you know, their stoles, they're covered up or even occasionally a down jacket. I'm thinking, wow, I wonder why, you know, they must not, they must feel the cold more than me. And I get into the churches and I say, oh my, I understand now. <laughs> These churches are cold inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. The stone retains the cold. I've really, I've never walked in the summer. I don't like the heat, but I would imagine even in the summer sometimes so churches retain that cold. Yeah, and so I had to learn that. And the other thing I learned was why aren't there that more men at the church? So finally I was able to learn enough Spanish to ask some of the uh, the elderly women, because they would always come and talk, they'd always welcome me. Uh, it was always a, a matter of welcoming in those churches. I absolutely adored that. And then they would, I would, they would finally be able to let me know that now we go to the bar, huh? and when we get in the bar, that's where the men are. Right. So the women go to church, the men go to the bar, and then the women go to the bar after church. 
And this just gives us like on repeat wherever I went into mostly the littler towns, the bigger cities, you know, it's a little bit different, but I thought that was just so cool. And I used to love actually doing that. So I, I would go to church probably every, every, every third night or so, there might be one or two or three in a row. And then maybe I would skip it for three days and some of the remote, more remote areas, you know, but it's a wonderful thing about Spain is there's always a cafe, there's always a bar, there's always a church somewhere. And uh, it's just like a virtual smorgasbord for someone who's looking for experience and spirituality. And uh, it's just an, an adventure. So it's like it's all rolled into one. And I, I basically now here we are eight years later and I just cannot get enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do, you, pr- <laughs> uh, do you pray while you walk? Yeah. Yeah. I always have. It's a very much a walking meditation. Yeah. Now I studied under Thin Nhat Hanh, uh, a Vietnamese Buddhist a monk who has a lot of books out and he has instructional books on how to, he's a big believer in not just sitting meditation, but in walking meditation. So I, I latched right onto that. When I saw that, I said, boy, you know what? I realized I've been doing this for a long time. I just didn't know it. And uh, I, uh, that's, I learned a lot there, uh, and, and that's – basically, I have been doing it before, but now I do it even more consciously. And, uh, yeah, so every, you know, every step is a prayer for peace. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that was one of the things I learned. What's one piece of advice you'd give someone thinking of walking? Oh, I, I say absolutely anybody can do this. I think it is an every man's type of type of adventure. Um, if you're thinking of it and you've never done adventures, you've never really done anything physical, I'd say train to a point. You know, training might be hard for those people because they just don't do it. But start out slowly. Uh, work your way into it. It Eventually, it'll get easier and, and you'll be through your hopefully your blisters and uh, your leg pains and uh, that are, you know, and they're going to pop up inevitably. But, you know, the, I think the, the biggest wisdom here is take your time. Yeah. And even these people who come into this, who've been triathletes and that, I've seen some people that, that really hurt and uh, they don't understand that this is something that, you know, it's not a race. It's not, you're not trying to get somewhere. Uh, that, that's something I learned long time ago is the the goal is the path so that the goal is not to get from point a to point b it is to be on that path whether you walk 20 kilometers 25 30 whatever it's to be on that path and to sustain that and to sustain that you have to listen to your body and you have to take care of yourself you have to perform certain rituals to take care of your feet and to stretch and to maybe do yoga at you know for 10 15 minutes when you stop walking and or a rest break you know and that and with all that in mind almost anyone can can walk it and you know i've seen people do it with crutches i've seen the the kid that was on the on the the wheelchair and that all these buddies and other pilgrims help push him. Mm. And uh, so it is available. That's what the difference is. The AT, the Pacific Crest Trail, and, you know, ultramarathons and triathlons, those are difficult for just anyone to do. But the Caminos are every man's sport, no matter what country you come from, no matter uh, how old you are, because I've seen tons of old people out there yeah. in their 80s. And I'm always amazing. And people that bring their kids, you know, baby carriers and, and strollers. And, and usually they're French. For some reason, every time I see a family of six with kids ranging in age from, you know, one to ten, they're usually French. <laughs> uh, but but uh, I just think it's wonderful. Yeah. I, it's just it's an every man's sport and our, our experience, our challenge. It's there for everyone, and I just it's that, that's just another thing why I, I think so highly of the Camino. Cast your mind back, Bob, to the first Camino. Did you pack something that you didn't need? Uh, I'm pretty meticulous in my packing, and I'll tell you what, Dan. With 
my type 1 diabetes, I have to carry an extra 8 pounds. That's wow. about 4, kilo, about four uh, kilograms yeah. more than the average person. So I've got – so I, normally I would need 22 – I would need 14 pounds or 7, seven kilograms. Uh, but I, I'm needing 22 or, wow. or 11 kilograms because I've got all kinds of things. I need to keep my insulin cold. So I carry a little cooler that weighs a pound. I carry it in my water bottle pocket on the side where the sun doesn't hit so that all day long that stays cool. Every couple of days I have to put that under uh, water and reconstitute it, and then it, 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 it uh, cools by evaporation. So that's, that's, that's right there. The insulin bottles that are in there and the backup insulin pens, which are syringes, are, uh, weigh a couple pounds a couple ounces each so basically it's about a pound and a half two pounds just in that cooler alone i have to have plenty of food with me i cannot run out of food for me it's not an inconvenience if i'm hungry because if i have a low blood sugar and it drops off because it does because of the exertion that yeah. you do to walk the camino carrying the pack uh i need to have stuff available in various degrees and uh i cannot take that chance or eat could cost me my life so um so i have have extra food i have to have things with me to check my blood sugars uh take drops of blood out of my finger put them on a strip in a meter i have to have a backup meter i have to have a backup plan for the backup plan everything has to be in place and it makes me very conscious and sometimes i would just like to think if i could do this you know carefree but that's not my life. Yeah. It's never been that way. I'm used to this. And I'm willing to put in the time and the packing and making sure. And I do mail things ahead sometime. I've got – when I repeat a Camino, I've done the Frances three times. Now I know someone in Leon that I've stayed with the other two times. I give them a phone call and say, I'm going ma- to mail you a package. When I get to Spain, I'm going to mail you a package of medical supplies. Right. You know, you can, I'll, I'll be staying with you at your yeah. albergue or your pension, and they have it all ready for me. I, the last time I did it a couple of years ago, they had my, my kit on my bed when I got there, all waiting for me. And they wow. said, now, now that you're here, can we put your insulin in our refrigerator and we'll remind you so you don't walk out without it tomorrow morning. And I said, Oh, you guys know the drill. And they said, you know, they, they, this, this is the kind of people that run the albergues, the pensions, almost anywhere. You're clearly well aware of what's required and um, you want to make sure that you're walking safely and you're, you're well prepared for all, all instances Tell us, tell us about walking 125,000 miles since 1973. That's a very long time to be walking, and that's a long. That's, I mean, that's a. That must. Have you ever worked out how far that is? Is that like right around the world a couple of times? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I started keeping track in '73, right as I graduated from high school. Uh, I was. I was working out in a gym in, in the high school with, with uh, uh, what I, at the time, I called the meatheads. And I'm not saying that as a derogative <laughs> term. These guys were very, very uh, brilliant in the way that they use body mechanics and, and uh, nutrition to you know, get re- huge. And I didn't necessarily want to do that, but I thought it would be cool hanging out with these guys. And, and uh, you know, the girls seemed to like them. So uh, I thought, you know what, this might be a ticket here. So uh, I, 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 and then one day near the end of, before I graduated, one of the guys said, you know what, you, we need definition. We have to do a, an aerobic type exercise every now and then to, to define us. If we're going to go into bodybuilding contests, which I had no idea that I would ever do that. So I didn't, but they said, let's walk six miles to the next town. There's a soda machine there at a garage. We'll, get a soda or two, and we'll walk back. That's 12 miles. And they thought, that's be outrageous. Nobody does that. This be, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm, all, I'm in all the way. But we went out, and we got back. And partway back, those guys started faltering a little. They said, oh, man, what, this was a stupid idea. What, what did we think of, you know, 
why do we have to walk six miles for a soda? <laughs> and then we're walking back, but I'm totally in my element. I'm starting to understand that this is what I was meant to do. We got back and I thought, man, I could, I could go walk back out and back again. I think I'm, I didn't, you know, is this, this is my thing. So I started to keep a journal right after that. I put those 12 miles in as my first entry. I kept journals all the way through and I total up my mileage. And now I'm at about 120 because I, I can, I can enter in my yearly mileage in now since we're at the end of the year, I'm at about 126, somewhere in there, 126,000 for years. I was averaging about 2,500 a year uh, and that's miles. And then, uh, and that slowly I dropped back. That's when I was doing ultra marathons. But now I'm somewhere at around 1,500 miles a year. And so 500 of that will be on a Camino that year. I do one Camino a year. And that's so 500 of that. The other 1,000 is in training or just in hiking and just uh, fun gatherings of people that go out for a walk. And uh, so now, now I've, you know, I've dropped back. And, of course, I'm, I'm almost 66 years old. So 1,500 is a nice number for me. I don't know. Hopefully I can, put, I can keep that up to the day I die. And, uh, yeah, and then one Camino a year also. Now, you know, I've always said that. For years I've said one Camino a year till the day I die. Yeah. Well, this year, that, this didn't happen this year. Uh, we had no idea what was on the horizon there. So, uh, so I'm hoping to get a vaccine in a, in a month or two. Uh, my daughter's in the healthcare field. She's a diabetes educator. She's getting hers on Monday. Uh, so I'm hoping to get mine in a month or two. That I'll get the second shot a month later. And then I don't go in the summer because, like I say, I don't like the heat. Uh, so I will be back hopefully in the end of October or probably November. And I'm probably going to do the, the Frances only because I know a lot of places got hit hard by COVID and there, uh, and, and places where there was only one albergue, say, on the Via de la Plata, or yeah. maybe the, the uh, some of the other uh, lesser-known Caminos, I'm thinking I'm going to stick with the, with the Frances, which would be my fourth time, only because I know that there's more choices. And, you know, November, things start to shut down anyway, yeah. generally. Uh, I like the cold, so that don't bother me going in November. I know it's a holy year. That's also going to up the numbers of walkers and things should be hopefully almost back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'll have the vaccine in me. Uh, we'll see what happens out, you know, the rest of this time. Cause we, we just don't know. We, it seems like this is something beyond our understanding at times, but that's, that's my short term goal. Uh, Basically, you're talking a little less than 10 months away now. I like counting it down. Yeah, of course you're so, counting uh, it down. We're all counting yeah. it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but that's yeah, a good plan. Yeah. That's a really good plan. Hey, Bob, tell us about walking around the perimeter of the United States. And I, I especially want you to touch on the spirituality of, of the Native American reservations. Um, and, and, and you talked about earlier about how you could feel the energy of the Camino and it, it surprised you. Yeah. I, I, I imagine yes. that you'd have felt that same energy or perhaps you didn't. But you might like to tell us about the energy and the spirituality of those Native American sites. It must have been quite extraordinary. Yeah. Um, thing is, when I, was, when I was 14 years old walking in the woods in, in around the back of my house, I had these visions of – of uh, high snow-capped mountains and blue uh, azure blue lakes and and uh, the Great Plains and I see Native Americans on them and I say this is weird. What? Why do I keep envisioning this? I've never been west. I, my family didn't travel. We. I really wasn't a traveler. So when the time came for me to plan this and do it, when I got out there to the west, I thought, whoa. This is exactly what I was seeing. It was some kind of a calling, a vision to do this. And I, I know it was, was palpable. And I, I got out there and I would start walking. And then I had planned on, you know, like every night I said, I do a diabetes program. 
Now, this happened, I started in 97, from Washington, from the coast of Washington State, along the Canadian border, uh, to, the, to the North Dakota-Montana border. That was my first year. I took eight weeks, like two months, and then went home. Worked for 10 months, came back, started in North Dakota, went as far as Michigan the next year, and that's how I did it. And then mm. when I got to Atlantic City, New Jersey, on the Atlantic, so Pacific to the Atlantic, three years, six months, two, two, and two. Now we're in 2000. I look at all my buddies. We had a motorhome, and we, um, they had, I had drivers. And, and my kids would join me. My wife would occasionally join me. And we would, we, then when we got to the end, we looked at each other and said, this is so fantastic. We're having so much, such a good time. We have sponsorship. We have plenty of people in the other parts of the United States that are hungry for diabetes knowledge and for us to come walking into their town and presenting a program at night and, and having a walkathon maybe of two miles. Uh, why don't, why don't we keep it going? And I said, it's, you know, is this crazy? Uh, we did. We went back the next year, which was 2000, started at the same place in Washington State and went south all the way mm. to the Mexican border. And then across the deserts in California, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, into Texas. Now, there's one thing I did change, though. When I got to Texas, I saw it was a thousand miles across. And I think that comes out to like, what, 1,600, 1,700 yeah. uh, uh, kilometers. Yeah. Um, I said, that's a long time. That's basically one year of walking for me for like the two month segment. That would be one, two month segment. And that I'll never get out of Texas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, you know, I think I'm going to switch here. I've, I've always been bicycling long distances. Let's switch the bicycle. We'll bicycle from, from El Paso, Texas, which is on the New Mexico line. And we'll go all the way to Florida, to St. Augustine on the Atlantic. And as a change of pace, but also because I'm not a big fan of the Deep South, because then I went across Louisiana, Mississippi, and uh, Alabama, and then into uh, Panhandle, Florida. And uh, continuing doing programs, we had the motorhome following us. We're now in our second motorhome, uh, because the first one, it was pretty old and eventually died out. And, uh, and then, the, then the last year, which would have been 2005, I went from Atlantic City, New Jersey, where I had ended my walk like many years before that, and went down the Atlantic coast. I would walk in the mornings for, for half the day and bicycle for half the day. So now we're doing a mixed thing all the way to Key West, Florida, which is like the end point, the furthest southern point in America, in, in the USA, and it's 90 miles then to Cuba over the water. Uh, I guess the cool thing would be at that point we should have kayaked or maybe swam to <laughs> to <laughs> let Diane and I had actually swam from Cuba to the Key West. But I'm not I'm not that good on water sports, so I'm a land man. I'm a land animal. So uh, <laughs> so while doing all that for nine years, it was a part of my life, and um, I I started to get this deep spirituality from meeting people from the movement of everyday walking meditation, but especially on the Native American uh, reservations. And it's the Navajo, the Hopi, uh, you know, there's probably about 60, 70, maybe 80 reservations all told. Yeah. So I'm on at least getting close to half of them. And the diabetes is really bad. And it's a little bit demoralizing to see them suffering so uh, they, it's a little bit generic. It's a little bit that they uh, lost their dreams. You know, it's, yeah. it's, so it's psychological. Uh, there's a lot of trauma. Uh, it's um, there. It's very remote places, like you know, the Four Corners where the Navajo Reservation is. They don't have access to a lot of medical care. They get people coming onto their reservation, doctors and that from 70 miles away and telling them you got to do this, this and this to control your diabetes. And they don't take to the message. But now when I show up, I'm not telling them how to take care of their diabetes. I'm showing them this is what I do. This is what I've done all my life. I'm walking 20 to 25 miles a day. Uh, you don't have to do that. You only have to do two miles every other day. 
tomorrow morning, we're all going to get together. We're going to do those two miles together. And then I want to, I would like, if you guys can keep that up and, uh, you know, we would get 200 people out for a two mile walk. And then not only that, but they could show me their reservation. They would take me around the reservation, show me the sacred sites, take me up on top of mountains and uh, buttes. And, 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 you know, I, I got the whole deal just by us having a simple walk with them, which was for their benefit. And I said, you've got you to gotta try to continue to do this. You, you gather the family, you all go out and you take a long walk every, and, you know, it's only two miles every other day. I'm doing 20, 25 miles a day. You don't need to do that. I'm just showing you that that's what I can do after taking care of my diabetes. So, so you can hopefully eke out a few miles every other day. And they, they took to that message. And it was because, once again, I walked onto their reservation, and a day or two later, I would walk off of their reservation. So I wasn't telling them what to do. I was showing them. And it's, uh, you know, it's a way of thinking. And they, they sort of jumped onto that. And then they would let me meet, like I said, with the tribal councils. Uh, I would get to hear stories from the elders of the tribe of the Indian wars. Because these people were, you know, some women in their 80s, their, their, grand, their parents and their grandparents were, had taken part in the Indian wars. Yeah. So that part of history was now alive to me through their storytelling. And it was no longer something I could just read about. And uh, I started to, and oh, the other thing is the medicine men. They would have a hospital, and one room would be for the medicine man, and he it would be vented uh, to the outside because he would use smoke ceremonies to heal the people. So now they 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 would have a combination of modern medicine. They would have diabetes kidney dialysis centers on the reservation, and because diabetes is very hard on the kidneys. And, and then you would also spend a part of that of your healing with the medicine man, and you would learn your tribal ways of dealing with disease. And that way, it was a combination that I really started to understand a little bit in, in your own life that it's not all science and medicine, and it's not all just using, using some other kind of as, as you know, a, a different kind of, of healing. It was a combination of, and that's, that's where I really learned a lot. And what happened was after, as we were ending the end of this, and even after I was on Camino and started to feel that spirituality on the Camino, I said, you know what? It was available all those years that I was on those roads and trails in America. I just didn't realize it. It, it's, it came to me slowly. I'm a, I'm a bit of a slow learner. It doesn't always, yeah. boom, you know, shoot off like fireworks in my head. Yeah. But I definitely know now that was part of the, the same spirituality that I had on Camino was available there. And really, no matter where you walk, you have that, that chance. The thing about the Camino is it's so, it's so specialized and you can just follow the arrows and not have to worry about route finding or you don't have to worry about uh, you, when you're off on the dirt roads and the, and the trails, you don't have to worry about traffic. And uh, it's different. Uh, it's, it's actually even you, you have more access to the walking meditation and to let your mind go free. But I still know that I've done a lot of that in different parts of the U.S. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. And and you say in your note to me, you said that you adore the communitas that you find oh, on the Camino. Yeah, you know, and I think I think a general kind of definition would be that communitas, everyone is equal. Yeah. Is, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it comes, you know, I think it comes from the word commune and um, communicating, and there's just so many variations of that that word and that's it's the evening meal in the albergue yeah. that you have it's not available every night but probably every third night or so maybe i know some of the famous places for that are granon on the on the frances or are up with father ernesto on the norte those meals are just amazing pilgrims from all the world everyone get up tell their story 
Uh, sometimes at the worships, they have you tell where you're from, and uh, they, the villagers honor that. And you, uh, and maybe occasionally you would sing a, a, a song from your country. All that's just, I mean, it's just, a, it's, to me, it is magic. I know it's a bit of an overused term with this, but I, I, it's, to me, it's magic. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it is. It's absolutely fantastic. You never know. And I've, I've said here many times, it doesn't matter what you do back home. No one cares. Right. It's, it's one of those very few opportunities you have truly in life to just be yourself because no one cares if you're a doctor or a candlestick nope. maker or no one cares. Nope. No, no. It really right. don't matter. Everyone is equal. Do you think everyone, Bob, gets the same impact from the Camino? Well, I think sometimes, as in everything, you've got to have a few people who struggle. And, you know, and if you're, if you're hurting really badly, if you've got some bad blisters or they get infected or you got shin splints or you got uh, plantar fasciitis, uh, it, you know, it, it, can, it can dull your appreciation. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Someone who's not used to that type of physicality, uh, it's got to be a little harder, and you're going to get some grumps and some grouches. <laughs> I hate to say it, but a lot of times they're from the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because I'm from here. I guess if you'd say that from another, if you from another country, you could say, "Oh, well, you know, that's that's a nice for them to say." But uh, but it's very few. It's the number is is uh, you know small, and uh, maybe there might be a middle level of what people get from it. I'm, I'm a bit in that range and the higher range where it just, I just, it floods everything for me. And it's, it's, uh, you know, I've always just been open to experience and that's why, uh, I'm very lucky because it's helped me deal with all my many, uh, uh, physical problems. You know, I've been in the hospital 28 times. I've had all kinds of, I broke one arm once, the other one twice, my one leg twice, you know, uh, I've, I've had all kinds of uh, problems with the open heart surgery. And so I'm used to every couple of years I go to the hospital for something and I'm lucky I survived this long because I have friends who have the same degree of difficulty and a lot of them have not survived. A lot of them haven't made it. A lot of them, have, like I say, I've gone blind, uh, lost limbs, yeah. uh, kidney dialysis. Sure. Uh, and I'm, you know, and I'm still chugging along here. Uh, so I am truly blessed for that reason. And, uh, and I still think it has to do with my lifetime of movement, constant movement and, um, and that, and also attitude. But I think because of what I've gone through, I have a, a little bit of a, maybe a, a, a more open mind to taking in everything I, I come in contact with and all kinds of experience and uh, the Camino is such a big part of that. And it's, it's there for all of us. Yeah, how wonderful. That's a great answer. Crikey. And we, we talked also um, about your illnesses and, and, and you just touched on there that you've, you've had plenty of challenges. Can I just ask you, Bob, can you get insurance? How, how are you able to travel? Is, is that a risky thing for you? Oh, oh boy. Now you've, you hit the problem here with America, with the United States, is that we don't have that. We don't have a social safety net. I am lucky in, okay, so I own my own business. I have to work hard and a lot of that gets, it's, gets paid in taxes, but we don't really receive anything back for it. And I have no insurance, but my wife worked at a university here in our town, Kutztown University. She was in payroll. She had not only her own insurance, but she had spousal insurance. And that really basically saved my life. So now with that insurance that she had through the state, through the government, because it was Pennsylvania State uh, University, and so it came from the government. So it's almost like we're getting it from the government. Uh, and I used that, oh, millions and millions of dollars. And what we always try to say is, without her insurance, I would have been either bankrupt, dead, 
or probably both. So you give me that insurance, and then I live a life of high achievement. I work, and when I can't work because I'm sick, I make it up by working overtime. I work weekends, and then I work hard. I pay my taxes. I, I, I give back to the community. I give back or when I'm traveling, when I'm doing diabetes programs around the United States and Canada and Mexico, and um, only because I have that insurance. Yeah, right. Now, isn't, isn't the idea, and I know that in Europe, this is the way it's done, is that you give people that insurance so they don't have to, then they go out and start more businesses, more entrepreneurship. You have more people giving back to their community because they're not now worried about just survival. And we have the money. We have the money here. You, you, you know, there's so many ways. To, it's, not, it's socialism, yes, but it's a lot of Europe. Has, it's a mixture of capitalism and socialism. So I'm, I'm all for having a, a national health care. And I've been working for it, towards it. I, I work with groups, but I don't see it happening for a while yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't understand the logic. Uh, people can see what I've done with it. Why can't, why can't everyone have that opportunity? Because only a certain few have it. And now a lot of people during COVID have lost their jobs. So now maybe the few that were lucky to have it through their job no longer have it. And it's why we're so far behind on the curve with this, with the pandemic, and why we're so far behind on diabetes, uh, on cancer. Oh, it's, it's just, I, it's very frustrating for me. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, I want, the reason I asked that question is it fascinates me, the, the whole difference between certainly Australia and the United States. It's chalk and cheese. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. The situation yeah, yeah. that, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. And I know th- that your neighbours just to the north as well. Canada is, is much the same as Australia. It's just ast- yeah, 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 yep. find, well, I yep. find it astounding. Look, we're, we're running out of time, Bob. Let me ask you a couple of quick ones. Do you have a favourite place, a favourite place you love to visit on your as part of your 11 Caminos? Yeah. Um, on, on the Frances, uh, I, I probably, I mean, I like some of the bigger. I love Pamplona. I love Leon. Uh, Castro Jerez with the castle, I always try to get in there early and go up to the castle. There's, there's a few, you know, I, I always like um, uh, Sahagun. I like, I love Samos. I mm. love going, I always take the detour over to Samos. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and in, uh, in, on the Portuguese, I love Tui. Now that's just inside Spain, so it's not actually Portugal, but I love Tui. Uh, uh, in, on the Via Padnes, at, Potenenses in France. I like Espeleon. Uh, yeah, I, there, there are places like that uh, on the Norte. Uh, I mean, some of those coastal cities are <laughs> totally amazing. Yeah, that's so, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Fantastic. Now, one more question. Tell us a Camino story. Yeah. Um, okay, so the year uh, I was... I was doing the Norte in 2016. Uh, first time on the Norte. My daughter does the first two weeks with me. I have two friends that joined me who I met in France when I was walking across France uh, two years before. Uh, a guy from Belgium and a woman from L.A., Los Angeles, by way of Mexico. Her, her family still lived in Mexico. Hmm. So they come out to join me again. We're old friends. And... Uh, we're walking and we're getting close to the halfway point of the Norte in, in uh, not too far away from Gehan. Uh, and my mom passed away back here in the States. Uh, so I've got to f- hustle and find my way by taxi, bus, train, and then plane back home so I can give the eulogy. She always made me promise that no matter where I was in the world, she wanted me to do her eulogy and I made it, I made it in time. So now the following year I have to go back and start at the same place. But since that's only half a Camino, I think, well, I'm going to start walking. I'm going to start in Pamplona. I'm going to walk to Leon. 
then Leon to Oviedo and Oviedo up. And then I'll meet my friends from Belgium and, and Los Angeles again. Then we'll walk into Santiago on the, on the, you know, the western part of the Norte. So walking on the Francis to get there, I meet this group of women on, right around the Meseta. And sometimes they were together, not always, but slowly as we got halfway across the Meseta, they formed their alliance. And there, there's five of them. One of the women was from Budapest, Britain, Mexico, Finland, and Loronio, a Spanish woman. And uh, they took me in as their brother, and they became my sisters. This was such a wonderful fact. They were all very, very comical and uh, high energy, and it was just a fabulous. It shows you the, the family yeah. that we, uh, the, the Camino aspect of having a family that you meet out there. Is, and, but like all families on the Camino, you get to a point, we reach Leon, they're going on to Santiago, I have to go north. Tearful goodbyes, mm. uh, sad, I'm you know, a little sad for a couple of days, but yeah. I know that my buddies are joining me up there in Gehan, and, uh, and so soon we're walking now on the, on the Norte. Uh, I get about a week away from the finish. And I, we went to a, a, one of these little albergues that's off in the woods, a little off the trail. And there was a couple there. They were washing dishes. It was fairly early in the morning yet. And uh, she was from Germany. And the, 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 her boyfriend was from Atlanta, Georgia, living, though, in Germany and teaching at a university. And uh, we, they were in their late 30s. We started walking with them. And the minute we met, and her, her name was Sabina, and she was uh, from Heidelberg, Germany, and she was a school teacher on art history. And we started, well, the minute we met, we started asking each other questions about, and everything clicked. Like she, it's almost like someone knew me. And she said the same about me. We became such good friends. I never had a sister. She never had a brother. We decided, okay, from here on in, she's going to be, my family's, you know, the sister, yeah. and I'm going to be her brother. And we, it was such a wonderful relationship. And uh, we walked into Santiago together, and then uh, we've been in touch ever since with, uh, by social media. We're definitely going to walk again sometime. We may, it may have had, had been uh, this March when I was going to be walking. I was going to walk from Santiago to uh, Fatima. Ah, Portugal. Yeah, so I was yeah. going to be going back following the blue blazes. Yeah, yeah, I was all set. I was a couple <laughs> days away from flying over there. And of course, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the COVID hit and that's, that ended that. So anyway, sometime in the future, I know we'll walk again together. But what it, what it showed me was, so I had a family. I lost that family. I went north. Uh, I picked up my old family that I had met Caminos ago and now I even meet someone who becomes part of my new family again into Santiago. And that is the story. So for anyone who's walking for the first time and they get uh, a little bit behind and they lose their family that they've been with for a week or so, and it was such a wonderful experience, just know that there's another family coming up right behind you. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and, and they're full of surprises all the time. You, you, you never oh, know what's gosh, around yeah. the next corner. You never know who's around the next corner, but that's what makes nope. it such a blessing. It's it's such a wonderful experience. Hey, good luck, Bob. I, I hope you keep on walking, overcoming difficulties and challenges, and and you keep living and breathing your dreams for your future and all of our futures. I think yours is an inspirational sport story. I think if Bob can do it, I can do it. So thanks for yes. taking the time to talk to us. You. You've been very generous with your time. Buen Camino, my friend. Yeah, and I hope to one day catch you out there on the Camino. I'd, be fantastic. I'd love to walk with you for a few days. <laughs> oh, so, can't so, wait. Can't wait. Know, keep, keep up the good work and Buen Camino. My guest this week, the American pilgrim Bob Scheidt. Remember my quote this week, when you're thinking of your future, never let it be said that to dream is a waste of one's time, for dreams are our realities in waiting. In dreams, we plant the seeds of our future, our future on the Camino de Santiago. Thanks for your company as always. 
I'm Dan Mullins. Until next week, Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way Somewhere along the way